Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Tom Hasn podcast. If this is your first time here, then welcome. Do us a favor and hit the like and subscribe button so you never have to miss an episode again. Because this is the podcast that brings to life the stories and the struggles of athletes and those in other disciplines of life and discover the journey that they've been on to get where they are today. Today's episode is an absolute belter and you can expect to hear things like this. I think the players that want to go on to play professionally, they, they should be aiming to play in excess of 60 matches a year, whether it be singles or doubles. It's really important that we you know work with the individual because ultimately, if they're happy as a person, the chances are they're going to play better tennis and therefore be more successful with, with their results. Yeah, uh, you'd, be, you'd be staggered how many 18 to 22-year-olds think one thing happens and actually <laughs> you sit them down and look at the video and, it, and other things happening. Oh, it's a good one. I've been fortunate myself to spend a lot of time on court and learn so much from today's guest, Tom Kiesel, and I can't wait for you to do the same. Whilst working together at Loughborough University, we shared an office together and used to have some brilliant tennis conversations. And I'm so delighted to be able to give you an insight into what those conversations look like. He's a hugely respected coach in the UK, and as head coach of Loughborough University Tennis, he plays a vital role at the UK's most prestigious sporting university. We talk about the rise of uni tennis, player development, and the importance of competition. It's a brilliant conversation, and I can't wait for you to get stuck into this one. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Tom Kiesel on the Tom Haslam podcast. Tom Kiesel, welcome to the podcast, mate. Tommy, how you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you too, mate. How's things? Yeah, good. We, you know, coming out the other side of COVID over here now, so um, you know everything's moving in the right direction. So yeah, things are going well. Probably not got quite the weather you've got. We've just uh, just had the other side of Storm Eunice, was it? I think so. Yeah, that that's knocked down trees and all sorts over here. So that's been a bit of carnage, but otherwise all good. Yeah, I saw footage of that. It does look a bit wild. It's uh, it isn't quite the Sydney weather, mate. Not quite. <laughs> No, I'm not sure you'd be ready for wheelie bins going across the top of your top of your house like it is over here at 100 mile an hour winds. So yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, not quite yet. So obviously you are the head coach at Loughborough Tennis. I'm hoping over the next, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour, you can you can tell us a little bit how how you got there um, and what that kind of role entails as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, how did I get there? It seems like, it seems a long part of a journey now, but um, yeah, coming up into my 35th year this year. So I'll be uh, representing the county in over 35s this year. So um, yeah, 16 years of coaching. So it's probably took me first 10 of those to get to, to get to work at the, the university at Loughborough, um, various different roles, working in clubs, coaching mini tennis players, um, adult beginners, working with some club and county players over here and, you know, just starting to, to really feel like I, I made a difference to those players and really got the bug for coaching, you know, and really felt that I could make a difference to some of the players and share and share some of the journey that I'd been on as a coach. And I, I really enjoyed that aspect to it. Um, and then, yeah, built, built on that, we started to produce some players that were maybe coming through the county ranks and competing on the national level over here in the UK. Um, and then from there was given the opportunity to work as the head coach at the university, which is you know, really a really, um, really high profile job to have over here in the UK at one of the leading sports universities in the world. Um, so, yeah, really enjoying it. I guess um, we'll, we'll talk about kind of how university tennis has evolved, certainly over the last 10, 15 years. But I imagine that when you were kind of coaching at um, county players and kind of 10 years ago the thought of maybe even longer you wouldn't have thought kind of a head coach role a full-time role at a university in the UK would have been an option necessarily. No I think uh, you know 95% of coaching roles over here in the UK are probably on a self-employed basis you know working for an institution and having the opportunity to be employed with some security to it and Loughborough, for those guys that don't know it, it's got one of the best facilities in the UK. So we've just um, in the process of opening two more indoor courts. So we'll be up to 10 indoor courts and we'll have three outdoor hard courts as well. So one of the leading facilities in the UK. So, you know, to be able to be the head coach of that program is obviously a fantastic opportunity for me. So um, 
yeah, definitely don't take it for granted. Some cold days outside, you know, working in the winter with some under eight kids on a Sunday night seems a long while ago, but I think for me, you know, almost creates more value to the journey that I've been there on the other side of things and, you know, see how hard it is for coaches out there working in the field that I certainly don't feel that I take it for granted what I, what I go into every day, you know, the facilities we have here are second to none. Yeah, it is, it is an, an unbelievable campus as a whole, isn't it? Do you want to just share with people a little bit about the Loughborough campus, the Loughborough, kind of what the student's lifestyle is, etc.? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sport is one of the one of the pillars for the university. So, you know, everything is focused around athletes, student athletes. You know, they might be studying, they might be here part time studying, or they might just be full time professional athletes. Um, one of the unique things about Loughborough is we are linked with various governing bodies. Um, so, British Swimming, um, England Cricket, for two as an example, the Lawn Tennis Association um, based some of their highest priority players on the campus so you you know you come into campus every day and there's just elite athletes training around you and that's a really motivational environment for the players but also for myself as a, as a staff member you know every day you're mixing it with different coaches that are coaching world leading athletes in different fields and you know you can pick up a lot from them and you know create my experience going further down the line with things so I think you know that's really a unique environment and certainly in the places that I've worked that I've found. Have you, have you had chance through like workshops and other stuff that the uni's put on to, to meet other coaches, high profile coaches and, and learn from them as well? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a, you know, it's a big part of what we do actually. We have once a month performance sport meetings, but we also have something called the coaches breakfast, which essentially is what it, says on the tin we go for breakfast yeah. and we have a chat with all the other head coaches of all the other sports um you know so take care of the minute the winter olympics has just finished and obviously last year we had the olympics as well loughborough did unbelievably well with athletes that were competing across different sports so yeah i mean it's not tennis coaching but you definitely yeah. have a lot of common things that align across all sports and you know just the elite mentality of athletes that are acquired regardless of the sport comes out in abundance you can definitely pick up different like, nuggets of wisdom and stuff from definitely from doesn't need to be from the same sport. I don't think it's just like you say, the mentality and the, the mindset. Is there anyone that sticks out as someone that shared something really valuable or um, really interesting that made you kind of sit back and go, hmm, that's really good? Yeah, I mean, uh, various occasions I can I can think of examples that happened, but um you know, one of, one of the cycling coaches actually speaks really well about the, the input they have and how they use technology on campus. You know, we, we now within the tennis program are getting more into the analytical world than ever before. Um, and some of the stuff that they do on the cycling team, everything's down to the, the tenth of a second, you know, because that makes the biggest difference. So, you know, they, they know the numbers and the facts and the stats on everything. So just bouncing some ideas around with him about, you know, how we could maybe bring that to the tennis court and, you know, maybe improve that one two percent that's going to make a difference and turn a, a turn a loss into a win and you know that might be the key match that means we win something in the season so you know like i said there i think there's there's lots of things that cross over across sports but the, the mentality is that is the clear thing you know yeah. whatever sport they're in commitment effort attitude is just, it's just a common thing you know you've yeah. got to have it with elite mentality yeah and and instilling that and bringing that culture, I know, is something that you're you're big on, and was something you you worked hard to create um, originally when you when you got the job. And how 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 have you gone about that, and how have you managed to implement that? Yeah, good good question. Um, I think I took the role six years ago now, um, in probably about a month ago, six years ago, and I, yeah. I originally took it on an interim basis, taking over from a head coach, you'll remember it well, because you're yeah. one of the students. So, um, Goose Hiddink we used yeah, to think, call you. <laughs> say that again? Goose Hiddink we used to call you. Goose Hiddink, yeah, that's <laughs> right, yeah. Come in, win some trophies, and then move on to the next <laughs> job, which, which actually hasn't actually happened this time. I just stayed in the same job, but um, hopefully won a few trophies along the way, which has been nice. But uh, yeah, I think culture's been a huge part of it for me. I think when I came in, one of the things that I saw was around this misconception of British university tennis. And I think university tennis in general, um, here in the UK, there's a huge focus on junior tennis. 
and players tend to come to the university and almost think, right, I'm coming to university. This tennis is going to be a bit of a laugh while I'm here. You know, I might play once a week, go out, have a few drinks on a Tuesday evening, play a match and then go out have a few more drinks. And I, I tried to change the mentality of the players that, you know, yes, we want to be here to enjoy it. But I think some of the most enjoyable times as an athlete are when you're winning. Yeah. You know, and, and certainly when you're winning as a team. So I, I tried to instill into the players the importance of being committed yeah. um, and turning up and training with a positive attitude every day. Um, and I think one of the great aspects around university tennis is it, it is a team. So, you know, some tennis players can often get lost in the individualization of it and they're, they're playing individual tournaments and maybe they lose a few matches and, you know, they start to think, is this all worth it? Um, but yeah, you, when you're in a team, I think the athletes around you and the staff around you are there to help you get through those tough moments. Um, so for me, it was a lot around setting a, a positive culture and, you know, expecting people to come and work hard. And I'm really big on that, you know, you're 18 years old, you've got so much room for development. Yeah. You know, and we, you know, you come here with the right attitude and you can improve a lot in your three, four, five years that you're here. And I think that stood us in good stead. We've got a really good reputation now for, the players that do come here, they, they develop both as players, but also as people. Yeah. So do you want to, we'll touch on um, kind of uni tennis, because I think tennis as a sport is, is pretty lonely, but at Loughborough and in uni tennis, it, it feels anything but you are really part of a team and a culture. Do you want to just explain a little bit how uni tennis works, the format, um, what, and even what a program at Loughborough kind of would look like? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we compete in something called Bucks Competition, which is British and universities collegiate sport. So essentially that program looks after all sports across all institutions. So Loughborough, it's run for 40 years and Loughborough have won it across all sports for 40 years. So that's something that we're hugely proud of and you know, we want to ensure that we continue to keep winning that. Obviously, there's institutions that are very keen to take our spot off us. Um, so that's a huge part of it. But so we compete in, in those matches on a Wednesday. Um, so they play a league match. So, for instance, our first teams will play in what's called the National League um, against five other universities. We play a home and away match, sometimes playing them on a Wednesday. But we also have two weekends in the year, which is called the Super Weekend, um, where essentially all the teams in the league get to one venue. It's a really, it's a really good event for the players. They enjoy it because there's opportunity for them to see the other teams competing at the same venue. So we'll have six men and six women's teams at that venue. We're fortunate enough that we host one of those weekends as well. And then in terms of the, the training program, so the elite guys at Loughborough will have the opportunity to train seven sessions a week. So on a Monday, Tuesday and a Friday, we train twice on court. And on a Thursday, we train once, which is after matches on a Wednesday. Um, so they, they'll be playing in the region of 12 to 15 hours a week of training on court. Then they'll have a match at least once a week. And we would encourage them to play individual tournaments around that. And then, again, where we're probably unique in the UK, we have a support staff around them that help support them across different services. So we have nutrition support, performance analysis support, sports psychology support, and then an S&C coach who works with us. So on top of that on-court aspect to it, they'll be in the gym twice a week. And they'll also be doing some on-court S&C as well. Um, I think, again, probably a little bit of a misconception in tennis that when you're doing SNCs, it's done in the gym. And we're trying to, you know, reshape that a little bit and say, um, you know, a lot of the physical work that they can do can be done on court as well as in the gym. So, yeah, I mean, for, for these guys, just unbelievable opportunity at 18 years old to come in and improve your game and, you know, play alongside others. Yeah. It is, it's an unbelievable program, isn't it? I think we, when we were kind of there, we used to work it out. Because you come from, you know, being a junior, playing at a club, you play tennis, you kind of work out, obviously, how, how much a program is there and then how much a program package like that at Loughborough's worth. If you can play seven times a week, S&C support, psych support, everything around it. It's, um, yeah, I don't need to tell people to do the maths on that. It's, a, it's an unbelievable program and how do you I guess one one thing question that people might have is the unit obviously you are part of a big team there is so much on offer 
but tennis is individualized and we all have individual flaws and stuff. How do you get that individual personalization when you are dealing with a team and, and so many different players on, on a daily basis? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think a lot of coaches will tell you that's a challenge. Yeah. You know, I think that's, that's the skill of the staff, you know, myself and the coach in this instance, but also the staff that work around me about, you know, sell, selling a vision to these players of what the team is looking to achieve. You know, I think it's really important that you sell that vision, but also selling to a player, you know, where do you fit into that vision? You know, are you a first year that's going to come in and maybe in the third or fourth year, you're going to be in the first team? Or are you a player that comes in perhaps at the scholarship at the top end and you're expected to be a role model for the others around you? So I think um, it's really important that we, you know, work with the individual because ultimately if they're happy as a person, the chances are they're going to play better tennis and therefore be more successful with, with their results as well. So, um, yeah, for me, that's a huge part of it. Yeah. And I guess I'm really interested in how, because the uni was shut for, for a while and away from COVID and all this kind of stuff. And how did, how did COVID impact players' programmes um, that kind of missed six to 12 months? And how is it kind of recovering now? Yeah, I mean, we, we were fortunate enough to be one of, I think we were the second centre to be open in the UK. So we probably missed seven to eight months where they were not able to access what their normal programme was, but a lot of the rest of the country might have been, you know, 14, 15 months. So um, I certainly can say for one thing for sure, the players were sick of doing S&C sessions on Zoom by the end of it. You know, we were doing three, four times a week with the players. But um, you know, I said to them all at the time, I think it's, it was such an important part of what we offer as a program to actually help everybody with their mental health and well-being around that time. You know, there was a, a lot of people struggling with the fact that they're, you know, everybody's in isolation. You, you're not able to go out and see the people you would train with normally, your your family and your friends. So, you know, Zoom became a a really big deal for supporting people. And I think, you know, certainly my aim through it was that we as a program came out with credit for what we offered to the players. And I think when I, when I look back now, we, we, we put some good things in place. Um, and I was really pleased with how the staff um, supported the players. And I think they certainly feel that, you, you know, as a coach, you can feel when the players are really buying the ticket with you and that you, they really respect what you're doing. Um, so I think actually we, could, we came through it in a positive manner. Yeah. You know, nobody wanted to have the center shut down for seven or eight months and yeah. you know have all the things that are going on around the world with covid um but as we said to them a lot of the time there's always people worse off than you you know yeah. the reality is you're not you're not playing tennis but yeah. you know you're well and you're at home and there's a lot of people struggling so yeah. um yeah the players are a really good bunch as well here is one thing i would say so um we don't get too many people that are getting in and you know causing us hassle with their opinions on things but um yeah i'm sure we'll be challenged in the future anyway and and how's the is it kind of business as usual now is everything completely back to normal um what what are we just had i guess you're probably not far out of january exams and and back to yeah fully to normal yeah um so pretty much really yeah we've had a, a normal buck season this year um, so the previous year was cancelled due to COVID and actually the, the year before didn't quite finish. Yeah. Um, but essentially this one started early in October and all the matches have ran through as, as, as expected. Um, we've just finished the league and we're moving into the, the cup schedule through February and March. Um, yeah. So that's a really exciting time for our guys. In addition to that, they've got the individual tournament. Yeah. Um, where they represent the institution, but they play for themselves rather than playing as a team. Yeah. Um, so that adds an interesting dynamic to it because they they're used to being on their own before they come to uni so um yeah lots to play for in this uh, back end of what would be our second semester and how did the leagues go this season and so how many teams men's women's you got and how did they kind of match up over the course of the, the season yeah really really positive results this year um so we've got four men's four women's teams um, so we we actually increased the women's team by one this year. So we did have four and three, but we're now up to four and four. Great conversations around maybe increasing the number of teams for next year as well. So um, just looking to give more opportunity for players to compete and represent the university, which I think is a really important thing to do. But um, we had a super positive year. Uh, women's won the National League title. 
So that's the third year on the trot where we won a National League title, the men's in 2018-19, the women's in 2019-20, and then obviously the missed year with COVID. So third year on the trot where we've won a high-profile um, league title, which has been fantastic. Um, our men's ones are, have won their league and they're going into a playoff to get back into the National League, um, which is in April. So really hopeful that they'll do that. Um, our men's twos and women's twos also finished mid-table in those division below. So, yeah, really positive. Um, and then some of the lower teams, three out of the four lower teams, they, they won their leagues as well. So, you know, I think it's great to be doing well at the top end, but I think what also offering those teams at the bottom end and then doing really well, I think, speaks volumes about the programme as a, as a whole. Yeah, definitely. I think it's something that you spoke about earlier. It's like, where does someone fit into the, to the picture? You got to have something to aim for. You might come in. You're nowhere near the finished product when you come in at 18. But if you understand there's there's room for development and more to the point, you can see the opportunity in front of you. All right, I'm starting in the third. I'm starting in the second team at number four. But you know there's opportunity there, and I can work my way into the first team. Then it's a, it makes it a bit more of an aspiring environment. Yeah, definitely, and I think having some positive role models over the time that I've been here where we've had players that have come in third team and finished up in the first team or yeah. a couple of players that have perhaps come in, been county national level here and go on to represent British universities and also get world rankings. So I think, you know, having those role models around and almost selling the vision by their story, I think it's hugely powerful to players when they come in. Yeah, hundred percent. I can think of quite a few people with like really, really good um i suppose improvement stories if you like that have come in second and third i know you won't kind of like singling people out but are you able to share maybe one or two people that have gone on and, and followed a similar route yeah um so Liv nichols or um, i think you're hoping to have on the podcast later down the line i'm hoping she doesn't get too many more <laughs> listens to than i but um yeah she she had a really successful time at loveborough I, I don't think she would mind me saying that she came in as probably a county level player here in the UK um, and as we speak here today I think she's about 160 in the world WTA yeah. for doubles um, and she still comes and accesses the program so you know as an alumni of Loveborough she's able to come in and um, still use the centre and have my coaching so you know we're really proud of obviously everything she's she's achieved but I think she's a shining example of someone who can come in work hard and actually keep improving from that 18 onwards you know by her own admission she was not a world-class junior but you know she's she's finding a career for herself on the on the double store yeah it is it is incredible isn't it because i think you know people trying to trying to get to uni you, you have that junior maybe junior mindset where it is you know 14 16 you are competing for yourself and you're just trying to get a little bit better maybe to hit that goal of of getting in a good uni team but you still where would you say people are when they come to you in terms of their development at 18? Well, I, I suppose you, you, if you looked on the on the tour, men's and women's tour, how many players at top 100 of the world are 18? You know, there's very few, certainly on the men's side, they're in their teams in the top 100. I think that, that tells you everything you, you need to know, that yeah. at 18 years old, very few players are ready for the demands of professional tennis. Yeah. You know, and even when they come to us as a student, I think, you know, my first thing is almost setting a vision for where I see those players and speaking to them about where they see their future. You know, are they someone who's going to come in and their main focus is university tennis, you know, or, or are they focused on helping the uni and actually developing themselves and maybe looking to go on and play pro when they finish? So yeah. um, I, I think, you, again, it comes back to understanding the individual and, you know, what, what are their needs and what are their ambitions in the game? Yeah. And I think a lot of people... A lot of people listening will have thought, oh, uni tennis, oh, that happens in America, doesn't it? College tennis, that happens in America. And obviously it's, it's a great option and, and there's lots of great success stories over here. But how, I think it's testament to the, the job that UK unis have done that it becomes more of a question now and is more of an option. Um, so what would you say kind of the matchup or the differences between the colleges in the US and, and the UK? Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. Obviously, U.S. University is hugely successful operation that goes on now and on a much bigger scale than what we do. Um, that said, I think you know we can certainly match 
a lot of the programs you know you mm. as we spoke about earlier you can have 15 hours of tennis here for next to nothing financially oh. and playing matches snc and all of those conversations so you know at my last visit i think our program was worth between 26 and 28000 pounds sterling um so you know if, if you think about that compared to an american scholarship it's probably in the same kind of ballpark figure yeah. you know i think one of the one of the differences is there is a perception that the academic focus will be a little bit higher in the UK. Yeah. And um, perhaps then there's at certain American universities where it's a lot more of a cutthroat system. You mm. know, coaches tend to move around a lot more in America players, if they don't like it or they, you know, they're not, they're not hitting the results that the coach expects. There's a, it's a lot more cutthroat and you see a lot of people transferring. You don't see that very much in the UK. Um, so I think it's a lot more around a, an understanding of that academic sporting student life balance um and I, th I think guys would be a bit more towards that being helping them make the decisions rather than telling them exactly what they're going to do yeah yeah i i had i had in my notes um in terms of the setup it is it is almost like you're acting as a you can almost be a professional with the amount of tennis that you play in terms of the program you kind of just have to study at the same time as well <laughs> yeah that's the bit that sometimes the ones that are looking to go pro are not so sure about yeah <laughs> you know if, if we're completely honest but i think at the same time you know we, the, we've got great examples at the moment so um lloyd glasspool who some of you may have heard of he's played in the aussie open actually this year he's uh, 62 in the world and doubles yeah. and he's studying an mba with us so he's studying a, essentially a part-time three-year masters um oh. You know, and, I, and he would say to me, I think he's 27 or 28 now, and he, he says to me, I, I, life on the tour, um, I had time to fill my mind with something else. And yeah. that was one of the reasons he looked at doing the NBA. And actually, uh, you know, when he started with us, he was 189 in the world and now he's 62. So, yeah. you know, I think he puts a lot of that down to that he's got something else to focus the mind on when he's traveling. Yeah. Um so actually, you know, some people may see that academic side of getting in the way, but others might prioritize that from a point of view of, you know, having a nice, healthy balance. Um, yeah. You know, and someone like him, he's certainly looking about what about life after tennis? Yeah. You know, am, am I setting myself up for that as well? Because ultimately, you know, Roger Federer will retire at some stage and will probably yeah. look to do something else after his career as a, an elite tennis player. Yeah. And I guess, you know, obviously... Lloyd is a, a doubles player, you know, obviously you, you're traveling with a partner, but again, like we said before, tennis can be a fairly a lonely place and a lonely sport. So to know, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, out, I'm out on the road playing tournaments for the next month, six weeks, but when I come back, I've got a really great base to go back to where I'm going to be surrounded by a lot of people, a lot of people that want to help me in kind of whichever discipline that I'm, I'm struggling with. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, you know, it comes down to an investment in you. Yeah. You know, an investment in you for the future, but also an investment for you as a as a person and not just as a player or an elite athlete. Yeah. Somebody comes to you and they're kind of like, oh, you know, I'm not sure whether to go to US. I'm not sure whether to go to UK. What would your kind of message to them be? I think um, I, I did a project on this for one of my coaching courses, actually. And I think yeah. the number one thing I would say to everybody is make an educated decision. Yeah. You know, how much information can you get about the decisions that are on the table? Can yeah. you go to visit the universities? Can you speak to the coaches over Zoom? Do you get that feel when you speak to a coach that, you know, the, this coach is invested in me as a player um, and me as a person? Um, can you see the other support staff? Can you go and view the facilities? Can you speak to the athletes or the players that are there currently and learn about what, what life might feel as a student there? Um, and I think if you do all of those things for perhaps the three or four universities that you are considering, my experience tells me nine times out of 10, you will come back and you know which one you wanna to go to. Yeah. So I think that that education factor is often missed, you know, and sometimes, I know it's hugely popular now. There's a lot of agents out there, you know, trying to pinpoint people in directions. But I think do your education for yourself and, you know, really try and understand what it is that you want from your experiences university and, and then make an educated decision around that. Yeah. I think that's um, really valuable, really valuable for anybody 
who at the moment is looking to go to the college or the UK system, I think one of the biggest things you can ask yourself there is, you know, or would place the biggest emphasis on is who cares about your development and you as a person, especially if you go, you know, if you're not from the UK or you're not from the US, you're going a long way from home and you want to make sure that you've got the right support around you should you know you get over there you get injured or something like that as they you know you don't want to be kind of cast aside so to speak yeah absolutely you know exactly it's a really good example you, you travel around the world and you get to university and then suddenly you're injured you know i think that would be a really good example of where i think our program would support you and then maybe yeah. in other instances maybe in the states it might be a bit more cutthroat because you've come in on a scholarship and all of a sudden you can't get results for the team. And you know, that's what you've been brought in for. So I think, yeah, it's not to say every, everything's like that, but um, you know, we'll certainly invest in the, in the person for their duration of their time at university and then not feel like it's uh, results must be hit immediately. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I just want to go back to something we spoke about a little bit earlier, which was kind of the program that, that is on offer at, at Loughborough and, you even mentioned that you were kind of looking into more uh, the technology side and the stats and those kind of sides. How are you using that information and how are you, how are you getting it and how are you using it? Yeah. Yeah. Good question. I think we're unique in the UK and that yeah. analytics is a part of what we're doing for British university tennis. So, um, we have a performance analysis that works with us and then we have something at Loughborough called the coach and volunteer Academy, the CVA. Um, essentially students can volunteer their time um, to help support certain sports so we have four analysts that's worked with us on a voluntary basis that are essentially trying to gain some experience to enhance their cv um, and they'll work with our analysts to actually look over the matches so we we work on a, a software called dartfish i'm sure some people will have heard of it um, so we'll be videoing most matches um, some training sessions as well and, and setting the players goals around what we want to see so to give you an example, um, we might be working with a player around second serve return points one. You know, so what we'll do is we'll we'll rag rate that from red, amber, and green, and we'll expect a certain percentage to be um, hitting matches to give them the best opportunity to win. So yeah, that that we're using it a lot more than we have done previously, and I think it, it certainly gives us an edge on other institutions. Yeah, definitely. I think that's something even just being able to go over and review your matches and analyze and reflect is, is valuable. And then if you can start, I guess, putting performance measures alongside it as well, it, I guess, do you think it's making the game a bit more black and white for the player? Yeah, absolutely. I think, it, you know, putting myself back into the shoes of a player and when yeah. I, and I was playing, I think the more you can take decision-making out of it under pressure, the better. Yeah. Um, you know, you as a player, you want to be playing on instinct. I want to have made these decisions 1,500 times in practice in the last two weeks so that when it's under pressure at four in the third, yeah. I just know what I'm going to do. I don't even think about it. Um, whereas when you're making a decision and maybe you're unsure, you get that doubt in your mind. Oh, what shall I do here? Yeah. Um, so certainly I think, it, you know, it's it's positive in general to give people a, a clearer idea of what they're what they're trying to do yeah and i guess it's it's helping them to learn and with that reflection and understand their game a little bit more their strengths and their limitations you know you can watch a match back and go you know every time it got to you know juice or 30 all in a game or break point down you did this and you know that doesn't work for you that doesn't match up with with how you play um so we need to find somewhere a little bit closer to that that we can get you to buy into here. Yeah, uh, you'd be you'd be staggered how many eighteen to twenty two year olds think one thing happens and actually <laughs> you sit them down and look at the video and it and other things happening. Oh, I hit my forearm really badly today, and then you show them twenty five winners yeah. and they made ten unforced errors on the forehand side. So yeah, I think as a as a coach, that analyst is a, is a is a tool to sell to players around maybe how you see the game. On, yeah. when you're looking at it from the sidelines so um yeah i think it's a huge part of it and what about uh, another huge part that interests me much because it was a, a struggle for me as a player is the the psychological side and i think you talk about it there where you go oh god i've come off court i've been hitting my forehand crap today and you go no well you did I, you know 
actually statistically no you didn't it might have not felt great but actually you you know you hit 20 winners and you didn't make that many unforced errors how what kind of psych support do people get and then how can they how can they implement that in because that essentially what you're talking about there is a bit of a psychological barrier yeah absolutely i mean you'll have heard a million and one times commentators say 99 percent of the game is mental at the top level and you know it's at the top level it probably is and even at even at the lower levels it's you know a huge a huge part of it i mean we talk a lot around from a staff point of view about um, coaching the performer and the player so the performer doesn't include the tactical technical elements of tennis but it's more about what they're doing from a mental physical perspective and we'll you know we'll do stats around that and we'll observe from that perspective so we you know we might write down tom haslam at 4-1 down in the first set swore and chucked his racket i'm sure you didn't do that in your time at uni oh, never. Um, no never no i can't remember any times where you did that but no. um you know just highlighting to players possibly where you know there might be rooms for improvement and i think you know we talked about it a little bit earlier around that doubt and confidence and concentration or mental skills that actually have a huge impact on how you commit to a tennis shot so i think how we would look to support that is firstly from a coaching aspect is always put the performer ahead of the player performer first we would call it um, and then we have a psych support that sits with us and you know we ensure that there's a clear focus from a goal setting point of view you know our players will have a uh, process focus you know which will take them away from thinking too much about the outcome which is i think one of the reasons why why players struggle mentally and um, so we'll give them process goals for each match and we'll, we'll, we'll give feedback on that before we give feedback on the outcome. You know, and, it, and, it, and like I said earlier, it's a, you know, it's a really building process for these guys, three, four, five years that they're here with us. It's not about just winning one match. No. I mean, you are seeing a lot of them, right? So it is trying to take care. I've spoken, you know, I had Buzzy on this before. It's about kind of taking care of things every single day and doing the the little things right every single day and you don't you know you've got that big picture in the in the distance but it's just chipping away at it so so that you can work towards that bigger picture yeah absolutely i think you know one percent difference over every every session of the week is you know seven percent in the the sessions we have but you know you add that up over the years it's a huge huge impact and yeah you know it, it, i think as a coach you're consistently trying to sell to the players it's all about consistency day in day out you know and the players that really understand that are the ones that are going to make the, the biggest improvement yeah how would you say that is a challenge at, at, as people are coming you know at 18 you're not you don't really have a clue do you what's what's going on in, in the grand scheme of things compared to when you leave at 21 22 23 you're a much more rounded individual would you say that's a hard thing to get the players to understand when they first arrive or does it just become, this is the standard, this is what they do here, this is how we operate? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, I would hope the answer would be the latter. Yeah. You know, that the, the strong personalities within the team that are already there from previously, previous years, excuse me, um, they set the expectation of what's expected at Loughborough, you know, from an attitude, commitment, an effort level perspective so for me that that's a really important part of you know a team team ethos is that there's key players within the team and it's up to them to ensure that everybody else aligns with that and then we're, we're working towards a common goal yeah and and i guess one question that people might have is how you know you said in the uk there is a bit more emphasis on the on the study how, what's the support there? How do people manage? Because that's a lot of tennis. You are, like we said, you basically have a programme of a full-time tennis player and a competition schedule. How, how do people juggle that? Yeah, um, so we have a performance lifestyle team here at the university um, that work with the athletes. And the main focus around that is the athletes' wellbeing, but also uh, the flexibility they need with their studies to be able to achieve both academically and from a sporting perspective. Um, so for me, I'll work with Simon and the team there to ensure that the athletes are getting what they need. That's brilliant. And, and I guess moving on, the, the aim of, of the player or for you know, maybe your first team players is to you know, go on, play ITFs and, and kind of challenge themselves from there. So what is the progression? Like 
say from graduation, do you find people still, you know, going out and playing ITFs, but using the campus as a base or, or kind of how does that work? Yeah, so we've got players that are doing that. So Liv Nichols would be one that we spoke about earlier. So she comes in and accesses. Obviously, as players transition through into professional tennis, they're spending a lot of time on the road. So, you know, yeah. we would we would hope to be a base for some of those players. And if they if they wanted to come in and drop in and use the facilities and spend some time with the team and myself coaching, then we're there to support them. I think for us, they're part of the Loughborough family once they've been here. So, um, you know, we will support them as much as we can do. Um, resources doesn't always allow maybe to spend as much time with them as as they might like but you know we're certainly we're certainly there for them and you know we want to positively influence their journey even after their time with us at university and I guess you, you still got players that are even though there's a huge commitment to the to the program and to playing for the university you there are you know guys and girls I think you had a couple of girls away at, um was it uh, an event this an ITF this week and I'm sure you'll have more in it's not like you can't play ITFs if you do this program you know no absolutely <laughs> I mean I think I mentioned earlier we're hugely supportive of our players playing individual tournaments for me as a coach we our main time where we compete is between October and April so that leaves five or six months through that summer period here in the UK where players can get out and compete individually and I think we <laughs> There's a lot to be said for players that maybe play 30 matches in that time versus someone who puts their rackets down and then doesn't play ready ahead of next October. So, you know, we're hugely supportive of them playing individual tournaments. And, you know, I think the players that want to go on to play professionally, they, they should be aiming to play in excess of 60 matches a year, whether it be singles or doubles, um, because they need to gain that experience of what knowing their own game, as you spoke about earlier, and what better way to do that than play more matches. Yeah, definitely. Do you think that's something that is maybe lacking in, in some players when they first come to you? Yeah, definitely. I, I always liken it to football over here or soccer. I'm not sure exactly what you guys call it. but um, yeah. They call it soccer, but it doesn't mean they're right, Keith. <laughs> no, they're definitely not right. Um, yeah, so football as it here is over here in the UK. I think there's a there's a culture, as we spoke about earlier, a culture of they train in the week and they play matches on a Saturday. And yeah. definitely, I don't think tennis, junior tennis here in the UK has that, um, where 50% of what they do in football is competition. Yeah. Whereas a lot of our guys will be playing five, six, seven training sessions a week and then playing a tournament once every three months. Yeah. And, you don't you don't get judged on what you do in training in tennis. You know your ranking points and the money you make as a professional tennis player is judged on how you play in competition. So you've got to prepare yourself for doing that by doing it over and over and over again and getting really really good at it. Yeah, and I and I also think if you are playing a huge volume of matches, it does it gives you something. Obviously, it gives you something to you're working towards something but at the same time if you're playing that many matches there's less there is less emphasis on that one if you're playing a match once every three months that match I mean you've trained for that match for three months that's now a big deal that's a huge deal and there's so much more pressure on you and maybe you're not going to end up playing the way that you train whereas if you've you know you've, you've trained and now you're, you're playing you train now you're playing now you train oh, there's another match next week. Okay, I don't quite get what I wanted to do this week right, and I didn't quite implement what I did in training this week, but I've got next week's match to kind of do again. And I think you maybe look at the process a little bit more than just the winning and the losing of that match. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I was going through my mind when you asked that question there. <coughs> Excuse me. I was going through my mind when you asked the question there. I spoke to a player, I think it was about 18 months ago, and he was having a really bad time. He was, he, was, he was not enjoying playing matches and really felt that he was underperforming in matches. And I said to him, you know, how many matches have you felt like that for? He, he said five. But it was five on the trot. Mm. He said, I, I feel like I've really not played well in those five matches. And I said, well, how many matches have you played in that time? He said, five. And I said, well, what if you played 25? If you'd had five matches, five bad matches when you played 25 matches, how would you look at the world? Versus I played five bad matches out of five all of a sudden his mindset was 100% of the matches I've played, I've underperformed in. Yeah. You know, whereas if he'd have played 20 matches, 
it's it's highly unlikely that he's going to underperform in all 20 matches. And I yeah. think, you know, players just have to sometimes realise that you've got to get yourself out of that rut and you've got to get back on the match court and find a way to make those improvements. And, you know, I, I remember that conversation really well. And, you know, we spoke about it after that. He's back getting as many matches in the next period as he could. And, you know, six weeks later, he's back playing well. You yeah. know, after after playing 15 matches, he just needed to find his game again a little bit. Um, so, yeah, that really good example for me of like the importance of competition yeah that's a really good way of putting it in perspective a bit as well isn't it I think a lot of time we're we're looking for an answer we're looking for that magic someone to wave the wand and be like oh keys make me play well again and then you're like well you're you're not you're not playing how can I help you you're not you've played five matches it's not there's not a data there to help you exactly right and you know we just have to be there to support them and encourage them, but ultimately it's, it's their decision. And, you know, if, I think the longer you leave it without playing competition, I've seen it through the years so many times, players are going, I'm going to take a break from competition. I'm going to take a break from competition. And, you know, what happens when they go back to competition? They've added more pressure to themselves. They're more worried about playing than they did before. Yeah. You know, and all of a sudden their mindset to it is heightened. Everything is like seen as super important by taking that break. Whereas the other guys who just keep playing, had a good match, had a bad match, I won, I lost, I move on, play again next week. Yeah, definitely. I think that's um, that's such an important, valuable lesson for a lot of people, a lot of juniors out there, I think. what When people come to you and they say, I'm, I'm taking a break from competition, would you would you be more like, no, don't break competition, just ease your training a little. If, you, if you're feeling a little bit like that, maybe ease your training, but you know, still compete. Yeah, I mean... Classic example, players that's between 16 and 18 are studying their A-levels here in the UK. And I'm sure over there for you guys, you've got a lot of exams yeah. looking to get the grades to get into university. And then I lose track of the conversations that people say to me. Um, yeah, I haven't played as many, many competitions in the last two years because I've been really focusing on my exams. Yeah. And I think to myself, well, if you come to university, you're going to still have exams. Yeah. You're still going to be studying academics. Yeah. So what you're really telling me is you're prioritizing your academics over playing competition. Yeah. And, you know, ultimately we want you to be playing competitions for us. So again, go back to it. If, if you've had two years off competitions, those first 10 matches that you play for us at the university are probably not going to be at the level of someone who's been playing competitions regularly for the last two yeah. years, who's confident in how to play matches. Yeah. And I guess it gives you a good indication because, you know, you're trying to work out a fit you know, someone comes to you and they, oh, I'm a good player, I want a scholarship or a good player, I see myself around the first, second team. And you, you can say, you know, what, how, how's this going to work for you? Or you've not played much recently, I'm going to be totally honest with you. We need to get you competing more. If, you're, if what you're saying to me is, is kind of accurate and you're saying you want to play first, second team, what you're doing needs to reflect that, which currently what you're doing is not reflecting that. Yeah, absolutely. I think... I spoke about 60 matches a year being the minimum earlier. And I think you know, that that's what I'd be aiming for our guys to play, to learn enough about themselves to improve the game and really feel like, yeah, I'm making headway on the competition side of things. I'd be aiming for them to play 60 matches, probably in the region of 25, 30 of those are going to be university matches that they play with us. So they're going yeah. to find another 30 in the year. So I think, you know, if someone's coming to us having played zero matches from their 17th to 18th year, they're minus 60 matches short of where I'd expect them to be. Yeah. You know? So I think, yeah, it's a key message. Competition is a huge part of the game. And, you know, I look back as when I was a player, competition is why I play. Yeah. You know, I'm competitive. I want to improve my game to help me in competition. You know, so I think, yeah, don't, don't lose, that, lose sight of that aspect that, you know, competition is the reason for playing. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Really, really good value, valuable lesson there for people. What about players that kind of, t- or they don't necessarily start as doubles players, but over the time at uni, they, you know, I know you like your doubles keys and really, really good doubles coach as well. What about players that, how do they transition to that? How do they, how do they become, look at Liv, she came as a singles player, she left as a doubles player, now top 200 doubles player. How does that happen? Good question. How does that happen? I think it's, I think we can pigeonhole players too early. 
that yeah. you know i can certainly think of examples here in britain where we go they're not going to make it mm. you know and sometimes you have to have a bit of foresight about it that you know probably everybody comes to a crossroad most doubles players have had have started their life as a singles tennis player yeah you know but i think somewhere along the road as a coach maybe it's eight when they come in at 18 maybe it's 21 maybe it's 16 it's you know set, selling a vision for this is what you could do yeah. you know, take lloyd and live as great examples they're traveling the world going across having an unbelievable experience being doubles players you know and how did that come about i don't think at the age of five they thought i'm going to be a doubles player no. So I think it's around the coach, the player, that relationship that you have around selling, selling a vision for actually, you know, you could make a career out of the game, but it might be in doubles and it might not be in singles. And yeah. I think, uh, you know, also it depends a little bit on the mindset of the player. I think some players, a lot of players have a bit more freedom on the doubles court than they have on the singles yeah. court. You know, they've got, they've got their mate or their, um, their partner there with them to support them. And that helps a lot of people. Yeah. Some people struggle with the aspects, as we spoke about earlier, the, the mental aspect of things on a singles court. So I think it, it's a very different game. You know, you said I, I love the game of doubles. I think it's, you know, we built a, a reputation now for supporting players to an elite level on the doubles side of things. Yeah. So, um, you know, I definitely think that's something that we can do and we look out for players that we think um, are, do have skill sets that are going to make an elite doubles player. So I think, yeah. Don't be too short-sighted with things, and you know, keep focus. It it still takes a lot of a lot of hard work to become a top doubles player. Don't, yeah. Don't go around kidding yourselves that doubles is easier. It's different. I wouldn't say it's easier. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the the Bucks kind of leagues in general over the years have produced or certainly had players come through the system that have gone on to do really good things in in the doubles doubles world. And I think that's a a good point you make is not being too short-sighted or pigeonholing yourself and you know if you do if you really want to carve out a career as a tennis player maybe a singles career isn't for you but there is a doubles option there and you I do think you have to be clear on how the obviously the game is played and you need to be in a fairly safe set of hands with I think at Loughborough obviously with you they are. Yeah absolutely you mentioned about some of the players in British Uni that have gone on to play elite level so Johnny O'Mara was at Sterling yeah. University, um, top 100 in the world doubles player currently. Um, Colin Fleming previously, again, yeah. Sterling University up in Scotland, <coughs> played for Great Britain, Davis Cup and Wimbledon numerous times. Um, and then obviously ourselves with Lloyd and Liv and there's other examples at other universities in the UK as well. So um, it tends to be that that journey a little bit more leads to it. You know, if you've gone through university, generally you're that little bit older probably by yeah. the time you look to play professionally. Um, and perhaps as, as you see when the ranking is maybe not heading in the right direction from a singles perspective, they can be looking at a serious career in, in doubles. Yeah. Do you, ever, do you ever get a player when they come in 18, 19 and think, oh, you could be a really good doubles player, you know, we could mould you into a really good doubles player here, or do you kind of let them come to you and be like, I think I'd rather play doubles or how would you, how do you see that relationship? Yeah, I think uh, two ways. I think you might be fortunate enough that you get a player who comes in and sees it. Yeah. I think that's probably less likely than likely to be honest. Yeah. Um, and then if not, I think it's more around you trying to educate them perhaps of the levels that are required. Yeah. You know, maybe if they're not hitting them on the single side of things, have they considered it? Have they considered that doubles could be an option? Yeah, <coughs> that's um, it's definitely um, an interesting route for people to consider. I think it's something that, as a junior, you rarely see in the U. Okay, this is probably the biggest difference I've spotted in the UK and Australian systems. In the UK, as a junior, you I hated doubles. Most kids that I played with didn't like doubles. Never played doubles. Might play once, you know, in the you probably might play in two or three in the summer holiday tournaments that would have a doubles tournament. They, the rest might not even have them. Over here, the kids love it. They all want to play doubles. They want to play with their mates. I think this, you know, Kyrgios and Kokonakis thing will definitely push that as well. Um, but over in the UK, it is a, I guess you have that challenge of juniors don't play doubles. Yeah, I mean, we would hope they do. 
Yeah, I think that's got to be the first thing. We would, we would hope they do play doubles because, you know, when they come to university, 33% of the points that we get yeah. are doubles matches. So, you know, for us, it's important that they can play doubles effectively. Yeah. Um, yeah and as you say, over there for you guys with Kokonakis and Kyrgios winning the Australian Open, I think it was an all-Aussie final, if I'm right. Yeah, all right. Yeah. yeah, so I'm sure that's going to... Um, make doubles take off big time over there. And I think, yeah. you know, like I said earlier, there's definitely benefits from the the mental side of things and players that perhaps struggle on the singles court can enjoy the game more with their partner on the doubles court. Yeah. No, 100%. 100%. So I guess we're, we're probably coming up to about, about round at time. So um, I guess if you were to, you were to sit down with someone you had 30, 30 seconds on the, the elevator pitch for Loughborough. What would you, what would you give them? Oh, God. You, yeah, you'd like to think I've had this rehearsed a few times, but I'm not sure I can say it, to be fair. Um, yeah, I think, you know, the number one thing globally, are we are a world-renowned university. You know, we've got Olympic athletes training in various sports across campus, and that's a hugely inspirational environment for which players to train and then I think from a from a tennis perspective the facilities here are second to none in the UK have 10 indoor courts one of the best gyms of its type in Europe um, yeah and just a, a culture of players wanting to improve and be committed to the program and, and be the best they can be and you know that's what we're looking for when they come in at 18 we're not looking for the finished article but you know, we are looking for people with a positive attitude that can influence the programme, whether that be in the fourth team or whether that be at number one in the first team. Brilliant. How was that? 30 got seconds? Got nailed. You got nailed. <laughs> Off script. So I close, I, I close with a, a little quick fire round or as quick as you want to make them. Um, so obviously we spoke earlier about, you know, trying to do everything right every day being consistent the message to the players of being consistent what's something that you do every day to try and move yourself forwards oh good one um always trying to improve i think i'm trying to sell to the players the importance of improving um you know so if, whether it's coach development courses whether it's with speaking with other coaches across different sports as i mentioned earlier i think yeah that's that's really important i'm I'm at the age I'm at and I'm not the finished article as a tennis coach, but there's always room for improvement. And if you, if you had one piece of knowledge that you could pass on, we'll give it in the instance <coughs> of, a, of a player. We'll give it in the instance of a junior player here as well. If you had just one piece of knowledge that you could pass on to them from all your years of coaching and playing, um, what would that piece of knowledge be? Keep playing. <laughs> Don't that stop. Would be my, that'd be my number one thing that I say to players. Yeah always have a an eye on the long term you know if you're a 14 year old player out there if you stop playing at 16 you're not going to be the best in the world it's impossible yeah so you've got to be thinking about how, how might my game look at 25 26 27 and it's okay to lose matches because i've got 14 years before i need to start winning them to win money in my pocket yeah. you know? so i think yeah my main message to everyone keep playing it's a sport yeah. for life that's a that's a brilliant one it sounds so simple but i think you need if you can have that that long-term vision and you can then stick to kind of the daily processes around that you're going to be so much better off that's a really good one um and do you have a favorite quote or book favorite quote mm, it's, it's more around more around my coaching actually i got i picked it up through covid um and it was leaders drive culture, culture, culture drives behaviors, behaviors drives results. That's one thing I have in my office that I, I tried to abide uh, by. My job is to set the culture and yeah. the culture drives the behavior and the behavior drives the results. Brilliant. Bit of knowledge to finish there, mate. Awesome stuff. That was such an interesting chat there mate really really do appreciate it if people want to get in touch with you talk to you about Loughborough how can they do that yeah absolutely um so first of all is I know most of the world now are on Instagram would be follow at Loughborough Tennis Instagram at Loughborough Tennis so that's L-B-O-R-O tennis as you know you can check out our website or to speak to me individually if you've got Tom's details I'm sure he can pass them on to you yeah um, of course and you can get in touch with me about all things Love for Uni Tennis.
yeah, I'll pop your I'll pop your details there, Instagram and your details, how to get in touch in the in the notes, in the show notes. No problem at all. Keys, thanks a lot for your time, mate. That was that was awesome. That's all right, mate. It's been a pleasure. Cheers, mate. That was Tom Keeshall on the Tom Hasm podcast. I haven't spoken to Tom in such a long time and we haven't had those chats that we used to have in the, the office in, in so long and it was amazing to, to be able to speak to him again candidly like we used to. If you are interested in more stuff to do with uni tennis and want to find out more through me or Tom, I'll pop a link in the show notes. But you can get in touch with me on Instagram, it's at Tom Hasm Tennis. Or you can email me tomhasm at tomhasmtennis.com and I'll pass any details through to Tom or any questions that you have as well. I'll see you again next week for the next episode. It's a good one.